Let's uh, read this psalm together. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. Father, that is our declaration today. We rejoice in your unfailing love because you have been so good to us. Lord, we think of all of these challenges that present themselves in our lives. Pressures, financial pressures, medical pressures, life and death pressures. And Lord, I just pray that you would speak today uh, into the lives of those that are grieving, those that have lost loved ones, those that are... Um, by the bedside of a loved one who is about to enter eternity. We think of the Milgate family right now. We commit them to your grace, your comfort, your goodness. Father, we pray that you would speak into our lives this morning. Lord, some of us have been stuck for a long time. We've been dealing with issues that we've not been able to be released from. And I pray today that you, who are the great liberator, you are the one that sets men free. Your word declares that truth will make us free. I pray today that you would set us free from emotional baggage, from pain, from sorrow, from unforgiveness, from brokenness, from loss, from grief. Lord, I pray today that you administer life, strength, encouragement, and hope. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name and God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to have you turn to the Old Testament this morning to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 5. Very familiar story. Well, maybe not so familiar. We're going to look at a little, ex, a little part between the leaving of the wilderness and going into the promised land. And there was something in stuck in the middle there that I believe we need to understand in order to move forward. Dr. James Garfield tells of an incident in his life as he was heading off to have a lunch appointment in San Francisco. And I guess there's toll bridges on the San Francisco Bridge. I don't know. I've never been there. And uh, he said, I pulled up to a toll booth like I'd done a thousand times before. And this morning, however, I heard loud music. You know, I mean, sometimes you drive up to a light and you can almost feel your car vibrating. Anybody had that experience? So he said, I kind of looked around, you know, who had the boom box on or what? And nobody seemed to be doing anything. And um, then, I, you know, it, it sounded like they were having a Michael Jackson concert. I mean, it was really cooking. And I looked around, and there was no sound truck. And then I looked at the toll booth up in front, and here was a man dancing in the toll booth. And so I, I happened to be at his toll booth, and I pulled up, and I said, what are you doing? And he says, I'm having a party. And and so Dr. Garfield said, well, what about the rest of these guys? You know, he's looking down at the other toll booth operators, and uh, nothing was moving there. And he said, well, they're not invited. <laughs> well, I had a whole bunch of questions for this man, but, you know, about that time, somebody right behind it honks, and so, you know, I decide I need to drive off, and I made a note to myself, I need to find this guy again, because something about this man said he had something happening in his life that I wanted to discover. 
Well, months later, I actually found him again, and still the party was continuing. And, uh, and so I pull up, and I said to him, well, what are you doing? He said, oh, yeah, I remember you from the last time. He says, I'm still dancing. I'm having the same party. And, I, and, I, and so I said, well, what about the rest of these guys? And he said, stop. What do those guys look like to you? And he pointed down to the row of booze. Well, they look like toll booths to me. No imagination, he said. Well, I said, well, what do they look like to you? He said, vertical coffins. <laughs> I can prove it. At 8.30 in the morning, they walk in, and they literally die for eight hours, and at 4.30, they emerge from the dead and go home. So for eight hours, their brain is on hold. They're dead in their job. They're just going through the motions. Well, I was amazed. I mean, this guy had kind of developed a philosophy of work. I said, why is it different from you? for you. Why are you having such a good time? He looked at me, and I knew he said you were going to ask that. And he says, I'm going to be a dancer someday. And he pointed to the administrative buildings, and he said, my bosses are in there, and they're paying me for my training. Now, here's this guy, 16 people in the other toll booths, and they're dead in their job, and here's the 17th guy in precisely the same situation, figures out how to express and enjoy his life to the maximum. This guy was having a party where most people were bored out of their minds. Well, later on, I made an arrangement with this guy to have lunch, and I met with him, and I said, and then he said to me, I don't understand why anybody would think my job is boring. I have a corner office, glass on all sides. I can see the Golden Gate Bridge, San Francisco, the Berkeley Hills, and half the Western world vacation here, and I just stroll in every day and practice dancing. Now, how many get a little glimpse that life has a lot to do with perspectives? But life is also a preparation of what is about to occur. Here was a guy practicing for what he believed to be his future. Today, we're going to focus in on how you and I live life and prepare for tomorrow. Because I think some people are stuck, and they need to be released in order to move forward. So what does it take to move forward in life? We know that the way we live on earth, as I've already suggested, is really a preparation for eternity. Some of us get so caught up in the rigors of life that we lose perspective. We lose sight of the goal. Can I just say something? You and I are just passing through this life. And I think when we lose sight of that, we start living as if this life is all there is. Isn't that true? When in reality, it is just a preparation for eternity. So, what should be our goal in this life? Well, I think the Bible kind of etches it out for us, that you and I are becoming more like our Savior. That should be the number one priority in every one of our minds as a believer, that we would become more like Jesus. And I think there are all kinds of snares and traps that keep us from attaining this goal. One trap, I think, is trying to uh, recreate yesterday, you know, living in the past. And a lot of people get into this mindset, you know, where uh, we have what I call selective memory. 
How many know yesterday was always better than it really was? Does anybody know that? Because we have a powerful ability in our minds to forget the painful experiences of yesterday and remember the highlights. And so when we look back, generally speaking, we look on the past with fondness. Now, that's not true of everybody, but that's true of a lot of people. And, and you talk a lot of Christians, you know, they will tell you that the good old days, you know, God was really doing great things in the good old days. I want to say to you, God is doing great things in this day. And that what God did in yesterday, as great as all of those things were, God doesn't feel a need to necessarily duplicate what he did yesterday. And we need to understand that. God isn't interested in us recreating yesterdays. And I think we, why we want to go back to this is because we had a, a feeling of comfort and security and we understand the known. Whereas the future is a very unknown commodity and there's a lot of uncertainty in it. Isn't that true? And so a lot of people are fearful of the tomorrow. And many times you hear people speak negatively about what's going to happen in the future. And you have some people that are quite optimistic about tomorrow, but you have many people very pessimistic about where we're headed and how things are going to turn out and all the rest of it. And so a lot of people live with a lot of fear in their heart for tomorrow. But folks, I don't believe God wants us to live in fear. He wants us to walk by faith. He wants us to experience life to its fullest. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and that more abundantly. How many people in this room believe that God has a purpose for his church in the world today? Do you believe that? How many believe that God has a purpose for this local church in, in the tomorrow? How many people believe today that God has a purpose for your life in the tomorrow. Amen. And I think we ought to embrace that concept and say, God, you have some good things in store. Yeah, there may be some challenges, but you have some good things in store. And I am not going to walk in fearfulness. Now, I think it's very fascinating that as Israel was about to leave the wilderness and go into the promised land, they had a moment of what I call a preparation spiritual preparation in order to go in. And I think for you and I to really experience our future the way we ought to be, we need to be able to let go of the wilderness experiences. We need to let go of the past. We need to prepare for what God has for us in the future. In Joshua chapter 5, you find here that they're about ready to have a battle. Now, it's interesting what God gets them to do before a battle. It, it's all counterintuitive. It's, it's just the opposite of what you think God would do. Okay? And then we're going to read about this in Joshua chapter 5 in verse 1. It says, Now when all of the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until we had crossed over, their hearts melted and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Doesn't that sound like the right moment to strike? Doesn't that kind of sound like, you know, it's just the perfect moment to go forward? And yet God didn't get him going forward at that moment. But God created an environment where they could have confidence to move forward. God created a place where his people could engage in some very important preparations. And so I want to take a look 
at what are those kinds of preparations? What are those kinds of elements that will help you and I move forward in our lives? And you know, there are four elements that need to be addressed, I think, before we can need move forward in our life. And the first one is simply that we have to address unresolved past issues. How I many know you can't really move forward when you're dealing, when you're still stuck in yesteryear? And there's a lot of people, they're stuck. They just can't move forward. Yesterday's losses, yesterday's rejections, yesterday's mistakes and sins can keep us from moving forward. Isn't that true? Sure it can. You know, after they crossed the Jordan, they did, I think they did something very unusual. <laughs> I don't think they would have done this unless God told them to do it. And as I've already said, they did something what I would think to be almost the opposite of what you would think a warring nation would do. Let's pick it up in verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. Now, how many would say that's probably not how you prepare for a battle? You know, <laughs> create within your lives great weakness, right? You know, I was just reading the story this morning in Genesis 34 about, you know, uh, the rape of uh, Dinah, Remember that story in the, in the Old Testament? And then, you know, the, the, the brothers, to deceive, you know, the Shechemites, said, well, we can't intermarry with you. You're going to have to be circumcised. And then it says, on the third day, when the men in the community were extremely weak and could not defend themselves, they went in and killed everybody. Now, that's, how many are almost saying, this does not compute? In the natural thinking, this doesn't sound like this is the right approach to go fight a big battle. How many can see that? Right? That's all I'm trying to point out. It just doesn't kind of make sense in the natural. It says, So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeah Haraloth. Now they, this is why they did so. Now there was a reason why God did this. He said, all of those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. And all the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not. And so they were not prepared, in a sense, to go forward. Because circumcision, as we're going to see, had a significance that is very important. It says, it goes on to say, the Israelites had moved about in the desert 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they had left Egypt had died. And since they had not obeyed the Lord, for the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised, because they had not been circumcised on the way. There was a failure in a previous generation. And you know, sometimes in our lives, we can look at our lives and we can have the conversation, what if? The what ifs in life. What if I had been born in a more godly home? What if God had given me more substance in my head to operate with you know you know what if i hadn't made so many bad decisions when i was younger and we can go down this track of the what ifs in life you know what i'm saying and we can allow the what ifs to define who we are as a person and keep us from moving forward because maybe we've had some unfortunate things happen in our lives abuse we can go down a track what if that had never happened? I would have been more emotionally put together. 
Amen? Come on now, we can think like this. And we can camp in this thing, and we can look back, and we can say, you know, if my parents had just had their act together, I would have been a better person. And that may or may not be true. But that's not the point. The point is, this is what happened in our lives, and we have to, you know, as uh, Dwight Eisenhower's mother, he was a president of the United States and also a general in Uh, landed at Normandy, she said, Dwight, you just got to play the hand you've been given. And that is true in all of our lives. Like God doils out certain things to us, and that's what we have, and we need to take advantage of what we have. And sometimes even the most negative things that come into our life, God can use in the end for an amazing good. And God has a way. I believe God is the only person that can redeem evil. He's the only one that can take the evil of humanity, turn it around, and use it in a good way. And you and I can allow God to do that in our lives if we will let him. But one of the things we tend to do with unresolved issues is we have a tendency to feel victimized. We have a tendency to blame other people. So what the fathers had failed to do, they had to deal with before marching in their first battle. I just put down, weakened before battle, but trusting God. You know, I, I kind of wonder now if one of the reasons why God supernaturally took down the walls of Jericho is because these guys were so weak. I mean, I read all the other battles, no walls came down. There was no supernatural element in the taking of the, 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 the promised land, well, yeah, there was a few other situations. Hailstones came down, and, you know, God was obviously helping them. But I'm saying at this first battle, there was really a supernatural story. Isn't that true? God really helped them with Jericho. And I wonder if because God honored them in their weakened state. You know, sometimes we think that because we're weak, God can't do anything with us. But if our weakness is because we're doing what God's asking us to do and we're putting our trust in Him, God can do an amazing thing. Paul said, when we are weak, then we are strong. Circumcision was not just a physical operation performed on an Israelite male population. It was a sign of the agreement between God and His Old Testament people. That was part of the covenant. And it meant that they belonged to God, that they had separated themselves for His purpose. And so it was important that they identified themselves as God's people. That's why this was so critical. And if you and I are going to move forward, we need to do this. We need to make sure that we have come into a covenant relationship with God, that we're putting our trust in Christ, that we're ready to move forward in our lives. And one of the things is you and I can only receive forgiveness conditioned on our willingness to forgive. And I really believe that a lot of people struggle with forgiveness issues in their lives. And that's why they remain in the past. Blaming. You know, I was just joking with the men, you know, when Canada, when we have a problem, what do we do? We select a commission to find out who's wrong rather than create a commission to find out how we can solve the problem. Because, you know, blaming is so counterproductive. It doesn't advance anything. You know, listen, at some point in your life, you will be to blame for something. Amen? Amen? So I don't know about you, but who cares who's at fault? The issue is, can we move forward from this place? 
They could have easily blamed that past generation for their failures, but blaming them would have left them unchanged, defeated, and victimized. And I believe that we're living in a culture today that lives like this, blaming, unchanged, defeated, and victimized. That's how our culture lives today. When we don't forgive, it leaves us in a condition of unforgiveness. How many know forgiving people, perpetrators, I use that term perpetrator because it sounds malicious, and it probably is. Forgiving perpetrators that don't deserve to be forgiven allows us to move to a new place of spiritual freedom in our life. That's the truth. That's when we move from being a victim to a victor. That's the truth. We got to get there. I'm going to ask everyone in this room, does God, did God, do you deserve God's forgiveness? I can't say I deserve God's forgiveness. I do not deserve God's forgiveness. Nor do any people that sin against me deserve my forgiveness. But I give them the gift that God gives me that I don't deserve. I give them that same gift that they don't deserve. And when that happens, I can move forward. And until that happens, I cannot move forward. That is a very important point. And I want to move on to the second that needs to be addressed in order to move forward. Not only dealing with unresolved forgiveness, but the second one is simply to celebrate past victories. Now, there's some things we need to remember. And the thing that keeps people tied to the past in an unhealthy way is to yearn for a return to what was. The healthy approach to the past is to celebrate past victories, but move to what God has for us in the future. In other words, yes, I celebrate what you did here, Lord, but I'm not expecting you to duplicate that. I'm expecting something different. I'm expecting you to be there. I'm expecting you to you know, do something powerful, but it may not be identical to what you've done in the past. See, that's our problem. We're looking for, you know, a lot of times we don't think God's answering prayer because God isn't doing it the same way. Okay? He may not do it the same way. Do you know what happens when we have problems? And we all know this is true. When we have a problem, we tend to do what? We tend to focus on the problem. And the more I focus on the problem, the greater the problem becomes in my mind. Until finally the problem is so significant that I can't see any way around the problem. My focus needs to be on the God who is able to handle any problem. My focus needs to be on the grace that is greater than any sin. My focus needs to be on the goodness of God not the, the, the sense of pain or sorrow I'm experiencing. People who have learned to celebrate what God has done and is doing are people that will have a prosperous future. They're celebrants. By seeing through the difficulties to what God has done in the past, we're able to maintain a proper and healthy perspective on life. Hopefully the one thing that comes with us from the past are the lessons we learn. Okay. You know... I'm not going to do that again. I'm not sticking my tongue on a piece of metal in the wintertime. Right? I'm not going to run down a hill. How many know that's not a wise thing to do? Anybody ever tried that? I tried that as a kid, running down a hill. 
Pretty soon, my body was moving faster than my legs. Guess what happened? I was rolling down the hill. Don't run down the hill. Lesson learned. Check. How many have ever sat down and said, you know, there's certain things I will not do? You know, I mean, because we had some experience, right? Don't do that. We need to remember what God has done for us. It says here in verse 10, On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal, on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. Now, what is the Passover? Well, it's the celebration of a great victory, right? It was a celebration and a remembrance of what God had done to deliver them from slavery. And they were reminded to celebrate this on an annual basis so they would never forget the great thing God had done and had created them as his people. Because, do you know, when they were in the process of the celebration of the Passover, that was the first time that God called them a congregation. That was the beginning of the real nation of Israel. It was a significant event, and they were never to forget that. Now, you know, the Passover is when they, you know, killed the lamb, sprinkled the blood over the lentil, and the death angel passed over. That's why it's called the Passover. And by the way, Paul tells us in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is our Passover. And so when God looks at us today, when we receive Christ as Lord and Savior, when he looks at us in, you know, the wrath of God looks at sin on humanity, when he comes to you and to me, he what? He passes over us. It's as if we've not sinned because God's blood covering is over our soul. And we need to remember what God has done for us. You know, it is a good thing to remember the good things God has done for you. Are you going through a difficult time right now? Start putting down every good thing God has ever done for you. Just start making a list. You know, there was an old hymn, and the hymns sometimes they have some powerful messages. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. And what? See what God has done. Why are we to do that? So that you and I would not focus on our current challenge. So we could move forward. Because we have the confidence that the goodness of God will help us in this present situation. The third element in moving forward is to learn to trust God uh, in transitions. How many know that new beginnings require change? How many, a new, a new uh, chapter in the book, there's a reason why it's called a new chapter, new beginnings. Aren't you glad that every day there's a sense of closure? You know, sometimes, you know, you're, you've gone through a long day and there's been a lot of difficulty in that day and then you, you go to bed. At, I always say to myself, don't make any decisions now. You're tired and it's been a tough day. You get a good night's sleep. And how many, you wake up the next morning and you're in a whole different place in your mind? And you know, you wake up in the morning. That's why I love that scripture so much in Lamentations. It says, God's mercies are what? They're new every morning. And we get a new day because there's new mercies in it. And I get so excited when I wake up and go, great, it's a new day with new mercies. And God will give us the grace that we need for this day. And we don't have to worry about what tomorrow brings because God's grace is great for today. And when I go to bed at night, I can be assured in my heart that when I wake up the next morning, Lord willing, I will experience new mercy.
And if I don't wake up on earth, I'm experiencing the ultimate mercy. I will be in God's presence where every battle will cease from without and within. Amen? That won't be too bad. You know, as a Christian, it's not the worst thing in the world to leave the planet. It's just a thought. You know, it's not the worst thing in the world. Now, we must rely on God during those unsettling moments of transition. How many know that transitions can be relatively unsettling? The present is always a transition between yesterday and tomorrow. How many know that's true? So we're constantly living in transition, if you think about it. And yet there are specific times when a new chapter begins in our lives, and they're usually times of uncertainty, and they can cause great concern and consternation in our soul. Isn't that true? How many know that, you know, we talk about these things. You know, when the children leave home, we talk about the empty nest syndrome. That, how many know that's a transition? Some people are going, looking forward to that day, Pastor. <laughs> or some of you are experiencing that. But, you know, we can, we can jokingly say that, but when all the kids are home, you know, it can feel a little empty at times. Because the noise levels are down. And, you know, we can always say, oh, I can't wait for the day when, when everybody's gone and I'll just have time to myself. And then when you got time to yourself, you go, oh, I wish I'd have a bunch of noise in my house and life. And you know what I'm saying? Aren't we a kind of funny creatures? You know, we want one thing, but when we finally get what we think we want, it's not exactly what we thought we want. You know, that's why I have a, you know, I, I always say to myself, listen, God knows best. And sometimes in our lives, we, you know, there's a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in what? death. It ends in separation. It ends in brokenness. So, you know, you and I, we may think we're brilliant, but we're not as smart as we think we are. And what we're experiencing as a child of God, if we're walking with God and we're experiencing some things, God knows that this is what you and I at this moment need. Sometimes we question God's wisdom, but he knows exactly what he's doing. Or you could be starting a new job or you know, going to a new school or you have a new responsibility in life or maybe you're new to our church family and you're trying to figure out how to fit in. You know, there's this whole transition that's going on in our lives. And we have moments like that. We may wonder what our role is. We may wonder if it'll really work out. It seems strange at first, unfamiliar. We're uncomfortable. I want you to know that the most teachable moments in our life are when we feel that we don't have it together, when it's uncomfortable. When change is happening around us and to us, and we're going, oh, I don't like this. But how many know that if we just always had what we wanted and we always had what we liked and we were always comfortable, we would stagnate. We would not develop, we would not grow, and it would be boring. God adds a little spice and variety into our lives. These are the times we're most open to change. God uses these moments to teach us great truths and lessons of life. Our part when we don't understand and when we're experiencing discomfort is simply to trust him. He knows what he's doing. The new can only come about when the old has come to an end. <laughs> You're going, well, this, is, this totally makes sense, Pastor, right? Yeah, but that's one of our problems. We want the new and the old sometimes. Do you know what? It's interesting when you read this text in verse 
11, it says, The day after the Passover, that very day they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. And verse 12 says, And the manna stopped the day after they ate this food. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year they ate of the produce of Canaan. Now, manna. Oh, we've got to talk about manna for a minute. What is it? Bread from heaven. It was called angel food. But you know, these guys got bored of it after a while and says, manna in the morning, manna in the evening, manna at supper time. They got tired of manna. But I can imagine after 10 years of no manna, there was probably some Israelites saying, oh, I remember the day when we didn't have to plant the crops and there was, you know, manna coming down from heaven. Angel food, you know. God, why aren't we getting, you know, angel food anymore? Aren't we kind of funny that way? I'm just pointing this out. God's provision under the old situation stopped. It come to an end. And a new provision is provided as promised. One of the temptations in life is to continually look at the old ways and to the old provisions and the old provisions aren't always there in the new situations. God has a new provision. The Passover teaches us that God is a loving deliverer. Let us not forget what he has done. But the manna teaches us that we live a life of transition and we're not to trust in the things that God provides. And I believe that's one of the greatest dangers that we experience as Christians. We start trusting in God's provisions rather than trusting in God himself. You go, how do you know when you're trusting in God himself? Well, when he takes away your provisions, you'll find out how much you're trusting in God. Uh, can God take away provisions? Ooh, yes, he can. And you'll find out where your trust is. Right? We can talk a good talk when things are going good, but when provisions are being taken away, can we still walk the walk and say, God, I'm trusting you. The manna teaches us that the means and the methods change. The manna never returned. The great temptation as we age is to desire what has transpired in the past to return. The longing for the known and the fear and the uncertainty of the tomorrow. You know, I've been studying Ecclesiastes, and it's really been interesting. There's a text that says, cast your bread upon the waters. You probably read that. You know that verse is talking about maritime trade. And back in those days, when they, when they would send a ship out, they didn't have great insurance companies. I mean, you took a huge risk. I mean, it was high risk. I mean, if the ship came back, you made a lot. But if the ship sunk, you lost a lot. And yet the book Ecclesiastes teaches us, cast your bread on the waters. Do you know, one of the reasons why we don't want to do anything is we're fearful. But God's word encourages us to be people of faith and to live with a confidence that God is in the now and God is in the future and that we can trust God today and we can trust God for tomorrow. Amen? I think it grieves the heart of God to see how narrowly focused we can become. We want things just like yesterday. We want to perpetuate yesterday. Because in a sense, there's a measure in our minds of security and having things the way it's always been. 
Do you know what that really means? We don't have to trust. God is interested in trusting. As a matter of fact, when he came to Abraham, he said, hey, I'm going to send you to a place you've never been to before. <laughs> you don't even know where it is. Just trust me. We're going there. Okay. How many would say, yeah, uh, I want to do that, God. I, I just want to pull up roots and just go. It's scary stuff, isn't it? But I'll tell you something. If God tells you to do something, it's an adventure. We've got to get a little excited about that. You know, Isaiah says this, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. You know, how our church operated yesterday may not be how God does it in the tomorrow. You know, I could say this because I've been here a long time now. You know, we used to do these phenomenal musicals. Hundreds of people would come. Our church grew as a result of it. But God isn't using that method today with us. He's doing something totally different. And I've been praying. Here's my prayer for 2014. I'll tell you what I've been praying. God, I want to live in the supernatural. I want our church to walk in the supernatural. I want to experience miracles this year. That's a scary thought when you pray like that because, you know, miracles suggest that you need them. Everybody wants miracles, but nobody wants to need them. Right? And then my last part is I'm saying, you know, Lord, our church is going to be 30 years old. I'm praying that we've put so much seed in the last 30 years that we're going to start seeing amazing harvest. I, I want to, you know, I'm, I'm so radical this year, I'm praying that we're going to see as many people saved in 2014 as we've seen in all other 30 years put together. You go, uh, Pastor, that's radical praying. I'm going, listen, do you know this happened? Charles Spurgeon. Do you know one year he saw more people saved in one year than in his entire ministry? 1859 had a move of God, move of the Spirit. Thousands of people got saved. They never had a year like it before or after. Isn't that amazing? I want a year of the Spirit. Outpouring of God's Spirit. I like the promise from Isaiah. We don't even perceive what he's about to do. But one thing it says here is, I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. You know, deserts and wastelands speak of needs and difficulties. What are the needs and difficulties in your life that God is about to address? He can provide new provisions to replace the old ones. He has great challenges for us. But let me move on to the final element. We need to address unresolved past issues, celebrate past victories, learn to trust God in transitions. The final element in moving forward is surrendering to Christ's lordship. If we address this issue today, it will have significant ramifications for tomorrow. We need to evaluate before every great adventure who's really in charge of the operation, who's setting the course and who's developing the agenda? I think we all believe God is, but let me just say this. You know, it was interesting when Joshua comes up to the place where he's going to go in to possess the land. He, it says in verse 13, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and said, are you for us or against us? Are you for us or are you for our enemies? And the answer is mind-boggling. You know what the answer is? Neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? 
And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. How does God fit in our picture? Is he the great errand boy helping us fulfill our agendas? Do we perceive him as the great genie that whenever a difficulty or need presents itself, we put our hands together and state our desired wishes? The issue isn't whose side is the Lord on. Rather, are we on his side? Are we living out his will? Are we going to do his agenda? So, I think the issue is one of surrender. What does that look like in everyday life? How do I surrender to Christ's lordship? Well, I'm going to give it to you real simple. Here it comes. Whenever children obey their parents, you're surrendering to Jesus. Is that practical? Whenever we trust God, when we don't understand what is happening, that's an act of surrender to his lordship. Whenever we obey God's word when we don't feel like it or want to, we're surrendering to his lordship. How many of you have ever read a scripture and go, I don't want to do that? How many have ever had that experience that you didn't want to do what you were being told? I got my hand up. Maybe you're the only ones that, you know, I'm kind of a bit of, you know, God's got to talk to me. And I know that I have to surrender. That's what it means to make Christ Lord. It's not me doing what I want. It's me doing what God wants me to do. Right? It says it right in the book. You know, when you read the Bible all the time, you're going to run into a few verses, folks. You've got to try this. Read the Bible every day in 2014 and then try to do what it says. And I can guarantee you, you're going to have to ask God for help. You will. And you're going to wrestle with a few things. You will. The act of surrender is facilitated by our vision of Christ. I want to close with this. Eugene Peterson, he wrote a book called uh, Distant Reverse Thunder. And in that book, it's kind of a unique commentary in the book of Revelation. The way Peterson writes is very interesting. And he says this. He says, when we have a, a true vision of Christ, it will help us to surrender to him. But he says, our vision is often constricted. In other words, it's very small. We see Jesus walking around Palestine with some rather dense fishermen helping people and saying verses suitable for memorizing in Sunday school or placing on a dec decorative plaque, and we suppose we've got it. We think this is what Christianity is about. That's why Revelation is written. When you have a vision of Jesus from the book of Revelation, it changes everything. He says, St. John's vision trains us to re-see Christ in whatever terms are necessary to affirm the centrality in this time and place among these people. What is he saying? When you read about Jesus in the book of Revelation, he's Lord. He's powerful. He's conqueror. He's going to make the kingdoms of this world be surrendered to his lordship. Do you know that? He's going to conquer our world. That's the vision we have to have of Jesus. You know, sometimes we get a vision that, you know, God, are you really controlling this planet or what? It's such a mess. I want you to know God is totally in charge. So how do we move forward? Well, let's stand this morning as we close. I think we have to deal with the past. And some of us in this room, we're struggling with unresolved issues in our soul. You cannot move forward and live in brokenness 
and live in sin or live in unforgiveness and expect to move forward. It's just not going to happen. I can tell you that right now. You're going to have to come to Jesus and say, Lord, here's my heart. Here's my brokenness. Here's my disappointment. Here's my frustration. Here's my sense of rejection. Here's my sense of abandonment. Here's my sense of, you know, anger. Some, pe- some of you are angry towards God. God, why did you do this to me? Why did you allow this to happen in my life? You've got you to deal with that stuff. Because if you don't, you can't move forward. It's just that simple. You know, if we're about to move forward, we need to realize that there are some victories we need to celebrate. We need to go back and remember all the good things God's done for us. You know, sometimes we get so discouraged. Some of us get discouraged in this room because we're focused on our problems and not focusing in on what God's done for us. Boy, start writing down everything God's ever done for you. You're going to have a little hallelujah hoedown. I can guarantee you. You'll be just going, whoa, this is awesome, right? So you know, I, would, I would do this as an assignment. If you are struggling with discouragement right now, go home and write down everything you can thank God for. Every good thing God's ever done in your life. I can guarantee you, you're going to be praising God before that exercise is done. You need to celebrate past victories. You need to learn how to trust God. If you're kind of in limbo right now in your life, going, I don't know what God is doing. I've had moments of limbo in my life. I go, I have no idea where we're, what's going down here. And God's just saying, I want you to trust me. I'm in control. You're not. How many don't like that when God goes... When you're not in control of anything. Isn't that frustrating? How many have ever got a little frustrated because you lost control? Let's be honest. Oh, brave folks. And finally, surrendering to Christ's lordship. This is so practical. See, we, we make it spooky and mysterious. No, it's just surrendering to his word. You know, and usually the hard place is where I'm, you know, I'm wrestling with something. You never wrestle with anything. Or do you have to wrestle with issues? God, I'm disappointed with this, or I want this, or, you know, this is where it's at. You know, my life would be so b- much better if I had this going on, you know. Come on now. God, you know, what, I, you know what, sometimes God has to say, hey, I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. Well, thank you, Lord. If you need that, you'll get it. If you're not getting it, maybe you don't need it. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Come on now. Some of us are fuming and stewing and fretting and just bummed out because, you know, you're just not getting your way and God's not doing what you want him to do. Come on now. Is that the truth? How can you move forward? You're camped in dissatisfaction. Amen. And God wants to set you free today. You know what my prayer was this morning? Ask the guys when we were praying. I said, Lord, we want to see people free today. With every head bowed, every eyes closed, how many would say, Pastor? Boy, I'll tell you, God's speaking into my spirit right now because we prayed that he would. And you want to move forward in 2014, but you have some things that you know you've got to let go of. You've got to lay down. You've got to deal with. You've got to forgive. You've got to release. You've got to celebrate. You've got to trust. You must surrender. Anybody here in that slot? Is that you this morning? Just raise your hand and say, Lord, help me to move forward in 2014. Help me to let go. Help me to release. Help me to forgive. Help me to celebrate. Amen? Help me to trust. Help me to surrender.
That ought to cover most of us. Wouldn't you say? Father, that's my prayer today. We need to let go of some stuff. We need to trust you with stuff. We need to celebrate what you've done. And we need to surrender to what you're doing in our lives. And I just pray, Father, that you will help us in 2014 to move forward in a way we have not been able to do because now we're free as your servants to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.